Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Welcome back, folks. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Choose Positive Living right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is Anne-Marie Schrauder. What a fantastic title of a book and one that really makes you think. Being Brown in a Black and White World. Conversations for Leaders on Race, Racism and Belonging. Gosh, it's a conversation that is desperately needed right now. It's always been desperately needed, but let's just say right now, the spotlight is out there people are paying attention. She says being brown in a black and white world, her passion is diversity and inclusion and she wants to tackle the racism and the bias in the business world as well as socially. More than ever, diversity and inclusion play a role, a pivoting role in the healing of our world. It's finally time to stand up, to revisit the structures of the past, dismantle any system still in place causing separation and depression so we can live in a free, equitable and thriving world. Amory has spent more than 20 years in the field of diversity and inclusion as an international speaker, facilitator and consultant. She has guided thousands of clients using their leading edge method to create inclusive environments. As a bridal queer woman, Amory's warm approach and transparency, smooth participants, um, creating opportunities to put down their defenses and open lines of authentic communication. She's a master at creating belonging and safety in business environments and communities that we care about. Safety, ooh, a big word, isn't it nowadays? You know, anybody of any form of color, and you're from Toronto, so you also know that, you know, it doesn't matter what the color is or what the ethnicity is, you know, Asian attack. Indian attack, black attack, it doesn't matter. This just seems to be a great deal of attack. And I think what it is, it's like everything comes to a head, doesn't it? It's been there molding and smoldering for so long, waiting for that face to come. And now it's just reached that peak where we're not going to take it anymore. And we're going to keep talking about it until it's a pain in your ass and you're going to do something about it, right? So, you know, the title of the book, Being Brown, in a black and white world, it is absolutely apropos because uh, not only are you that, but the conversation has to continue. It's not just a conversation for the sake of conversation. It's a conversation for resolution of solution. And we have to pay attention that the old paradigm doesn't work anymore. Welcome to the show, Emery. Thank you, Sarah. It's so good to be here with you today. Now she's in sunny Barbados, but she's from Toronto yeah. and wise woman went to Barbados during the COVID <laughs> wisdom right there. Um, you know, firsthand that judgment, that oppression, that bias, you know, that, that persecution. And it's like being brought up. It's, you know, you've got to suck it up. Oh, don't worry. It's just the way they think. Don't take it personally. But how can one not take it personally? 
when it's been at you all your life? Oh, well, that's a good question. And I think I'll start by saying that as a biracial person, yes, I've experienced racism and, and discrimination and I have privilege because I'm light-skinned, mm -hmm. right? So the, the, the challenges that I have experienced have been fewer than someone with darker skin, fewer than somebody black. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly there are people with my complexion who identify as black. I, I've placed myself firmly in the middle mm -hmm. <laughs> and I identify as biracial because it's taken me a lifetime to bring those two sides together in a way that I can, I'm, I'm feeling whole. Yes. Um, well, actually so to see the gift of it. I finally <laughs> see the gift of it, yes. Sarah. It's taken, mm -hmm. it took 49 years mm -hmm. to see that. It was yep. painful. Um, it was, there was shame, mm -hmm. there was pain, there was, you know, why can't I be more black? Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was 49, just two years ago, two short years ago, I had a, uh, which, which you can read about in the book, no spoiler alert going to happen today in that regard. <laughs> but, um, it was such a, a, a powerful moment for me to just realize, oh, okay, so this is, this is who I am. And, mm -hmm. and you know, let's do something with this rather than trying to be something else um so your question was how do we how can we not take it personally is that was that your, <laughs> your question um yeah we can't not take it personally right. i think everybody needs to take it personally regardless yeah. of the color of our skin we are personally implicated in in the in what's happening in the world yes right whether we're um on the receiving end of racism or on the um giving end of racism consciously or unconsciously right we're, we're living we're swimming in the soup of a system that has been created with um a hierarchy of race in mind and so we all need to take it personally because we all need to participate in dismantling the system and creating something new mm -hmm. i mean that's really kind of been the gift in many ways of COVID. And it was a time to reflect, to review, to renew. Um, it was a time for that conversation, intimate conversations with self, with family, reaching out with people. We had the time to look at what works and what doesn't and look at our own system within us. There, virtually everybody has a broken system within themselves, broken programming, all programming that no longer works. And a lot of that programming is the way we look at each other as you know a white person we're meant to be more superior get over that that has been completely proven not so uh where do we get that from you know it's a old colonial type thing and we need to look at today today where are we at and today where we're at is that the color of your skin is important to you it is your heritage it's your culture but if we start seeing each other from the heart and the soul of a person, color won't matter. Yes, when we finally get there, I, I would agree with you that one day perhaps color won't matter, but we know that it matters very much right now. because we judge according to color, yes. we do value because of color, mm -hmm. and the darker we are, the less value we are ascribed in this system of white supremacy and white superiority. So, um, so the colorblind thing can't work not until, yet until yeah. we, we get to that new place that you're suggesting where mm -hmm. we actually connect from heart to heart and we see each other um, more fully. Yeah. I'm, I'm longing for that moment. 
Yeah, and you I'm know, as, as a person who is that, you know, for me, I, it's, um, I resonate with people's hearts and spirits. I really don't care the package they come in. That's just their story. That's, you know, their wonderful culture that they have, the history. But it is, you know, the heart is something that the beat of their heart is the truth of their soul. And when you can tune into that, you see the beauty of them from the inside out, which makes the outside even more beautiful, no matter the package it comes in, because we're all in a borrowed vehicle, having a wonderful cosmic experience in a human body. And, and it's for us to experience it. Um, but why should it be persecution? In this day and age, when we have all this access at Google and everything else, why are we still persecuting? Why is hate, ignorant hate, which I think is even worse, hate for hate's sake, um, you know, why is that still around? What does it say about us as a humanity? Why do we dislike ourselves so much that we've got to pass that hate on to everyone else? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me when we look through history, how we've always found someone to other with a capital. Yeah, o. yeah. Right? Whether it's based on skin color or any other characteristics that's different than me, right? Yes. Different than the people that are othering. It, it boggles my mind how that's such a common experience that we like to other people and then and then treat them horribly because of it. Yeah, I, but, but what does that say about us? You know, that if we have to put people down to boost ourselves up. That is a great big huge neon sign of your own insecurity, mm. of your own low self-value. Because if you truly do care about who you are and you truly do love yourself, you don't go around imposing hate on everyone else. Mm -hmm. You actually ignite that love within other people. But Sarah, don't you think that, I mean, so many, so much of this is taught. Oh gosh, yes. So, yes. so if we're taught this from small, are we, what, 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 when you're, when you talk about self-esteem, I, I think of that as a, as a, well, it's, it's probably not conscious, but it can be a conscious thing. Yeah. But if we're taught that from small, we don't even have a chance to develop our self-esteem outside of that paradigm of hate. Right, right. So we're, yeah. we are immersed in it from the very beginning. How, oh. Well, yeah. that is, you know, I would say it is, it's the societal expectations that are broken and you know we're repeating the same old patterns just in a in a in a nice big shiny package and it's uh I've, you know the boiling point is here right now the boiling point around the world you know right now there's a great deal of frustration as everybody comes out of COVID. you know um we're seeing more violence you know more ridiculous anger and attack on each other and it's because people don't know how to deal with their own inner discontent or frustration and they don't know how to outlet it so they'll outlet it on anybody and i'm going to pick a minority why are they a minority oh well i have a problem with that word anyways yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk all about that we can talk well about let's that. address that word because who decides who is a minority you know i <laughs> go on, i want to hear the opinion <laughs> uh, i have i'll tell you Remind me to come back to the time we've had in COVID to reflect mm -hmm. because we don't, we all, we haven't all had time to reflect. No, no. Right. Um, but the, so the word minority, when I teach workshops and we talk about um, social location, right, our different identities and where we're located within society and the structures of society, 
and we look at dominant groups and non-dominant groups. Um, I always remind people that we're not talking about power in terms of number. Right. right? Yeah. And so the word minority, um, in some ways, we can be we can be confused into thinking it's about numbers. Yes. Right. People, smaller group of people, but visible minority. Um, for example, one of those often used terms that I, I just don't like is about our social power. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when we're talking about dominant group and non-dominant groups in, in terms of social power, in terms of skin color, dominant groups globally are white or lighter skinned and non-dominant groups globally are, you know, not white people of color. And the darker you are, the less, the less rung we have on the ladder of, um, Isabel Wilkerson calls it the ladder of humanity, mm. right? Not because we're less valuable, but because we are made to be less valued because of the structures of systemic racism and, and white superiority and white supremacy. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really, really do not like despise the, ter the term visible minority because in addition to that, when you hear it, it makes you less than, right? Minor. Minor, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, but you hear it all the time. And it's like, yeah. but uh, minority, why? You know, yeah. uh, what's this less an, uh, than? Um, what I don't understand, and yet we've seen it, you know, through the, through the times, I mean, go back how far and you will see this. Um, there's always been this need to lord over other people, to have supremacy over other people. It doesn't matter what the culture is. Um, it just seems to be a human thing. I have to dominate. I have to belittle. I have to enslave you. That's my power. And it's like, how empowering is that to anyone? If you are actually empowering people, looking at their beautiful gift and what they can contribute to the world, doesn't that enrich society? And doesn't everybody step into that gorgeous empowerment that really is incredibly creative and wonderfully loving? So this limited thinking of power over you because is such a small minded thinkingness, isn't it? Sure is. And it's about fear, I think. Yeah. Largely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, there was something that sticks in my mind because it, it just kind of flashes back to me and I can't remember what it was, some documentary. And it was um, a white supremacist being interviewed and his wife is there with two kids. And they were talking about why are you so threatened? And and they, they approached her and they said, um, we've got to get them before they get my kids. And, and it was, and, and then he turns to her and says, love you, babe. And she looks at him with loving eyes, love you too. And that, that absolute belief that A, her kids are being out to, to be got in the first place. And, and it just, a, it was one of those moments that stayed with me. I've got, oh my God, they're so utterly entrenched in that belief that yeah. it is, is there any penetration of truth? that we could get there. I'd like to think so. Yeah, it's right? going to take a lot of chiseling though. It, it does take a lot of chiseling. And, and what, your, what your example reminds me of is, is the stories we tell ourselves to justify what we do mm. to others. Yes. The stories we are told um, before we even have a chance to formulate our own opinion, 
that teach us to hate and teach us that somebody is out like you know this group is out to get us in in your example right when you know if you go back to this to the transatlantic slave trade right mm -hmm. which is where um just before that the concept of race really began right race is a social construct everybody yes real, somebody made it up yes but, but what was the what was the purpose of making up that social construct of race the purpose of making up that was so that we could devalue a group of human beings because of their skin color and how did they do that how did they make it okay mm. for slave traders and and people to engage in in owning slaves how did they do that they told them that africans people with black skin were not human right they told them that they were savages they yes. told them that they were you know believing in you know i can't remember the the language but but you know they demonized them yes to make it okay for for white people to treat black people africans abhorrently this is how we use story right right we create a narrative and then we use that narrative for our own right sometimes for good yes <laughs> sometimes not for good so and but that also becomes the justification well i was told right and that becomes well i'm justified now because i was told instead of going hang on yeah. uh why do you why do you think that you know what what where's the evidence of that you know people are sheeple and they like to you know follow you tell me it's egg you know this person's going to be my slave and if i look at them as as dumb and stupid and savage uh therefore it justifies me making them a slave right we where's the questioning where's looking at that person as a human being yeah Right and not a convenience. I I grew up with with staff. Um, they were family. Didn't matter mm -hmm. who they were, what color they were, whatever. It they were family. They were an extended family there. And if you couldn't treat them with respect, you didn't deserve any respect back. Mm. Yep. That went big word respect, right? It just, it just seems to get tossed out and, and, and it's like, how can you have respect for yourself if you are going to be so demeaning and demoralizing mm. to others? Where's mm. your own self-respect? Well, that's a very deep question, mm. <laughs> right? That's way, that's many, many layers down <laughs> if, we can get, if we can get to that place. You know, what you reminded me of in, in something you just said, and I can't remember the exact word that you used, but, but the connection and building community, which we talk about in, in the work that I do, is to me how we create the space and the moving forward, yeah. right? Because in connection, it's in recognizing our common humanity. It's in recognizing the system that we're in and, and, and breaking that apart, that we can that we can come together and really hear each other's stories yeah recognize each other right we need to know about the pain we need yes. to hear about what's happened we need to acknowledge history and the present in terms of we're talking about racism many other histories and, and isms that we could be talking about but we're talking about racism so we need to acknowledge what's happened we need to acknowledge the pain the legacy of that that continues to this day and we need to make time to hear each other's stories and the impact of that because I, I believe that only when we make that time and create that space, that both and, right? Everybody has a story. We've been polarized by race, yeah. quote unquote. Mm. So 
the both and that I'm that I'm living in and with is that when we when we can come together from both sides, quote unquote, right, mm -hmm. and create spaces to really hear, acknowledge, then we can move forward in a different way. Right. Then we can yes. create a space where we're really valuing each other for everything that we bring in our differences. But isn't our differences what makes the smokers board so much fun? You know, who wants to all just be meat and potatoes? You know, it's just so boring. And if you can look at a person, despite what color they are, but hear their pain, hear their sorrow, hear their wishes and their desires, their dreams, and see them for the human being they are, right? If Why, why are we not doing that? Why is it that we paint everybody? Where, you know, my kids are half Asian. And my son owns a restaurant and of course when COVID kind of came out and the whole virus thing there was a little bit of a you know owned by Asians you know yeah. and we've got this a lot in BC and I know that you're originally from Toronto recently there has been those 215 souls that have been dug about a school in Kamloops mm -hmm. of uh, our beautiful you know Indian nation and it's like who has the right to take someone's heritage away from them, to make them feel inferior, to uh, try and convert them into the white realm when the white realm is so utterly screwed up and dysfunctional in, it, in the first place. Who has the right to do that to anyone, to any soul? And I think that's a question that we, you know, if we're wanting to understand what this bias is, what this racism is all about, I think we need to ask our, ourselves, especially as, as, as white people, what right do we have? Mm -hmm. What right do we have to demean you, to, to belittle you, to, to enslave you, to do anything to you other than hear you? embrace who you are and what your contribution is we haven't got any rights there sorry white folks we don't have the right to treat another human being that way because they are a different color of their skin or a different faith or a different economic structure right i agree with you it's self-ascribed yes it was self-ascribed and and somebody ran with it yes and it spread and you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What we're doing now is dismantling that, right? Taking taking a good look at that perceived right, yes, and showing it for what it is, and acknowledging the 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 impact of that globally, right? On on indigenous people, on people of color, on black people, on different religions that are not Christian, because Christianity is tied up in that. Oh, hugely. Yeah, the church. Oh, right? bigly. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of mushed up together um and uh and and i'm thankful for the conversations that we're the more and more conversations that we're starting to have more mainstream conversations that we're starting to have to shine a light on this i think one of the things that we need to do though is we've got to realize you know our ancestors put this in motion it's mm -hmm. you know, society carried it through without mm -hmm. question we know better now. We haven't got any excuse. So we need to step into our own accountability, right? But for those that are stepping into that accountability, don't shame them or blame them. Mm -hmm. Educate them. Yeah. Embrace them. Show them, 
you know, I mean, they've, they've woken up because they've, uh, you know, adhered the pain and the persecution that you've gone through. They don't want to be a part of that. But, you know, just because they're white, don't shame them or blame them because they too are standing up and saying, no, this is not right. I am ignorant. You know, um, show me what is right. I want to be a part of the solution. Um, we can blame the form forefathers. Yeah. Um, we can blame society that still loves to nurture that. And let's face it, very much in the police forces, very much still in government and ruling, very much in education, <laughs> and of course, social media, yeah. right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So yeah. as it's everywhere, we can put the camera lens on it and go, just because it's everywhere doesn't mean you can get away with it. Wherever you are, we're holding you accountable for your choices. Stop and think, is it the right choice? Right. The, the, I agree with you. And the challenge with that is who's holding who accountable? Because who's in power? Yeah. The people in power are still the dominant, right? Still, in this case, white folks. And so it's very hard for white folks to hold themselves accountable mm. for racism and systemic racism. You know, I was just um, doing a, 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 a facilitated discussion this morning about the book, beautiful book, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Said. If anybody wants to dig into this issue and, and really do some introspective work, it's a beautiful book. And what we noticed, uh, we were talking about white superiority and white exceptionalism. What we noticed was, and as I jumped into the different breakout rooms, people were talking about everything else but yeah. blackness and whiteness. Right. Coming so close, right? I've had this experience and it's sort of like, and so we talk about that, but we don't want to, and if there's nobody of color in the room, right? push, yeah. Stop. Yeah. we're going to stop there. And, you know, for myself included, if there's, if there's somebody in the room who's black, they're going to have that deeper lived experience of being racialized. Mm. They're going to push me, right? Because I have, half of my family is white. So I am also complicit in that white superiority. Mm. Right? even though I'm a person of color. So it, we need accountability, but who's going to hold people accountable when the people in power are white? Who's going right. to hold people accountable when the people in power are white? And until we, we have more voices and more leadership that is not white, mm -hmm. there's going to be more chance for sneaking out of that accountability. Let's just put it that way. Do you also feel that for people, you know, whoever's in that room, they're scared to to say the inappropriate thing um so therefore they dodge around the subject you know is um somebody may say something wrong that's in it, uh, unacceptable but instead of jumping down their throat and torn and quartering them just say no we don't say that because this is the demeaning meaning of that and you know it's like let the person be educated oh, oh okay i'm sorry i didn't realize that's what it meant but people are scared to have that conversation because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And if they do say the wrong thing, there's somebody there to slice and dice them. You know, why can't we look at it as an educational platform where things may be said wrong, put them right in a more compassionate way? Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things we focus on um, in my company when we work with organizations. We focus on creating, you know, cultures of belonging, cultures of inclusion, but also cultures of learning mm -hmm. because there's so much we need to learn and unlearn, especially when it comes to race and racism and systemic racism, whiteness, um, that if we create a culture where people can lean in, ask questions, 
yes. learn together. Yes. And not feel right. Shame and guilt are not productive. We're gonna no, feel them. They lead to hate. They lead to fear. <laughs> we're gonna feel them, but they're not productive. So no. I and I agree with you about you know we need to get away from shaming people, especially folks that want to learn and are leaning right. in. Um, a culture of learning provides us with the opportunity to share information, to ask questions, to answer questions. And sometimes, you know, as a person of color, um, as somebody um, uh, black, indigenous or person of color, you may not want to answer questions that day. That's fine. Right. right. We also have to acknowledge the burden, the emotional burden um, and always being the one, the go to person. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. There's lots of places we can educate and ways we can educate ourselves. But learning together, you know, it's my belief that if we're going to dismantle racism, who better to tell us what that could look like? Yes. Somebody who's not white. Yes. Isn't that logical? We have our own work to do, absolutely by all yeah. means, right? We have work to do as white people, we have work to do in healing as black people, as people of color. Um, and we need safe spaces in each of those groups to do some of that work. Absolutely. And we need to find spaces where we can come together and, and heal and work together to move forward. I also believe that. Right. Absolutely. I think we also have to look at the demographics because there are certain areas that are more entrenched in the old paradigm and the old thinking uh, yeah. th than others. You know, there's more liberated areas that are, you know, there are a, a beautiful hodgepodge of color and, and those cultures have, have found a beautiful dance together. But there's still particular areas that are very, very deeply entrenched in the old paradigm. And mm -hmm. if they're just the people are brought up without the education, you know, then they're brought up still with that kind of almost slave mentality uh, on both sides. You know, um, I haven't got any rights because I'm a person of color. I'm a white person, so I have the rights. And if we don't start getting to the root of it in the education at school, in kindergarten, at home, in the churches, where, where are we going to resolve anything? So, you know, if they, as you said, we talked about education, that education it starts at home, starts in the church. How, school systems only change when they're forced to change. So let us be that force that changes it. Because if we don't, we're going to just drag this on for longer and we don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now you're saying, got to remind you back of COVID times of reflection. Oh, yeah, you said earlier that the COVID was a time of reflection. And I, and I, you know, since we're talking about race and racism, um, a lot of folks on the front line. Yes. Are racialized. Yes. Right? Term we like to use in Canada, racialized. Um, and they didn't have, they haven't had time for reflection. No. They've been running, 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 right? Serving yes. the, the rest of us. The heroes, the true heroes, right? Yes. Healthcare, grocery yeah. stores, you know, yes. all of the essential workers. Yes. And we know because of systemic racism that they are disproportionate, disproportionately people of color. Yeah. And indigenous, right? So, but I think what it has done is, is taken the spotlight from the illusional glory of the head CEO. Mm. And, and, and thought, well, okay, you're sitting up in your ivory tower. And your, you know, your janitor and your workers are, are working in the hellhole, you know, or going through all of this. And it's like, who are the heroes? Yeah. Who are the people that are the backbone and the blood of the of the country that are keeping things going? Why do we pay them so little? Why do we treat them so lowly? 
uh, and this CEO is gone off somewhere, nice little cushion with his family and, and uh, they're all right, Jack. Um, no, it's been a great spotlight on that, I think, um, on, on showing us where, um, and it's also been a, a good reflection on companies that did step up that that did support their you know the country or the comp their, their employees and those that are gouged from it yes and we're not going to forget us the public we're not going to forget well let's hope that we that we hold all this in our hearts and, yeah. and move forward and and acknowledge people's labor differently yes hope, right? and you know that a very very simple thing you can do folks is address the person at the cashier uh, address the, the people that are out cleaning your streets that are driving the truck food and say thank you. Mm -hmm. We did this for pots and pans for nurses and doctors, but what about all the others? And you know, what about the poor janitors? Now, the constant work that they have had. And I've interviewed a couple of medical people and, uh, and they said that, you know, in your career, you may have one or two people that normally will die. And here you're having several people dying a day, yeah. you know, without their families or anything else. We know that as this pandemic slows down, we need to step up for all those frontline workers because they're now in the post-traumatic stress of it all. And we need to turn around to be there for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our awareness around systemic racism can overlay that, right? Because it's connected. Yes. yes. The, there's a double trauma. You're, yes. You're, you're disproportionately impacted in addition by COVID and you're still dealing with systemic racism. It's, it's a double whammy. Yeah. Now, you know, we see the marches for Black Lives Matters and things like this, and which is great because we're seeing more and more people standing up. But I think one of the dangers is, is that you can't go to the violent side. You can't mm. go to the anxiety. You have every right to be angry. Absolutely. Every right to hold people accountable, especially the constant police brutality um, and the courts. Let's not forget the courts and, and how dysfunctional and how um, quite evil it is. But our anger needs to be put into something creative and productive and inviteive rather mm -hmm. than turn to violence, because then it is see violence is all they know. You're giving the white man that excuse. Yeah, so that's a tricky one, um, Sarah, and, and I'll tell you why. There's something called tone policing. Mm -hmm. Tone policing um, has us literally police somebody's tone. And so we don't hear what they're saying. We are focused on how they're saying it. Right. Right. You're too aggressive or you're too loud or you're too angry. Um, that's a very common understanding of tone policing, but tone policing is also how we uphold the more um, peaceful, gentle, right, approach. So this is a tough one because mm -hmm. we know that um, in, in like, let's look at it in the workplace. We know that because of who's in power, mm -hmm. because of who holds the power and who's in leadership, we are more likely to be heard if yeah right we have that gentle that soft tone we're more we're patient we're not angry um and we also know when people protest we we hear different ways that those it's either a protest or a riot and it depends on who's doing it 
right? right. The language or who's different. inciting it, <laughs> right? And 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 how we receive that that act of protest is different depending on who's marching. Yeah. And so while I hear what you're saying around it's going to be perceived in a certain way and now we give um, those in power, those folks who are white leadership, another reason to say, uh-oh, those people and yeah. look down. Um, we need to be angry. I, I agree with that. Right? I do agree with that. But it, it's it's like in any fight, though, if you want to be heard, um, in taking that anger to the point where you make somebody else afraid, they're no longer going to hear you. Yeah, I get that. And that's that's that fine line mm. that I was talking about. Yeah. Such, such a fine line, because who are we to say that's not going to work because in our culture, the way we've created our society, mm. that's not what's acceptable. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, people get hurt and, and, uh, and there's ripple effects and we have hundreds of years of pain that people yes. are experiencing and expressing. So it's, it's a tough. It's, it's also, tough you know, like when we look at things, so oh, it's, it's the flavor of the day. No, no, no. You know, we, how many, you know, since the 60s, since the 50s, we've had marches, we've had, you know, um, protests, we've had everything. And, and it's, um, and then it seems to die down or suppressed. And then somebody else comes back up with the voice and the voice gets louder. You know, it, it, I think what needs to happen right now is no, you're not going away. This is the time of accountability. This is the time for you to see what's wrong. And it's the invitation for us collectively to put things right. And we need to do that because there, is, there isn't another decade where you can put it on the back burner. We don't have that other decade. We're at the boiling point now. And, and you know, it's, it is the Black Lives Matter, but it's also to do with the environment. It is also to do with women's rights. It's also to do with equality in, in work. All of these things are systemic. They're all part of the broken system. So we can't just take one thread and say we're only going to address that. We need to dismantle the whole cloth and reweave it on all aspects because it's like only addressing the toothache without realizing there's a you know there's an infection somewhere else that's causing the toothache to to be sore we've got to address the whole body and that means the whole body of the system and everything that is wrong yeah and and those are they're all interrelated absolutely they're all interrelated right yes. we know that, that that racialization intersects with class Yes. Because of systemic racism, for yeah. example, right? So when we start pulling one apart, we're going to have to examine the other. Yeah, absolutely. The, the challenge becomes when we are in the dominant group of any particular identity, regardless, and we have yeah. privilege. Mm -hmm. um, we're being asked to to acknowledge our power and to and to make space for others. Make that's, space for others. Challenging, right? Yes. When we have yes. it, we want to keep it. Yeah. Yes. And um, when we're not, when we're in the dominant group and we're not impacted by the ism that we're talking about mm -hmm. today, we're talking about racism. So if we're, if we're white or lighter skinned and we're not impacted or as impacted, it's easy to be like, I'm not going to think about it today. Right. It doesn't impact me. I right. mean, it does Im racism impacts all of us regardless. Yes. You may not see it in your face, but it's happening. Yeah. 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 Some, some receive benefit from racism and some are negatively impacted by racism, but 
but as as people who are not racialized um we have to make a constant recommitment every day to keep this on our radar because otherwise we can easily forget because we live in a world that that allows us access and ease because of skin color if you are sick it's not like i'm going to tend to my body today and then forget it for a week if you are sick you are going to heal yourself every moment of of the every day in order to get better yeah. right we have a sickness out there right now. We have a virus that's got out of control, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. And, yes. and we have to address the sickness at the root, at the core of it. And that means we have to realize everybody's been infected. And there isn't a vaccine for it, folks. The vaccine is love and compassion. And if we can step into that love and compassion for each other from the very core of us, and start deleting all those viruses that are in our body are of historical input and go, this doesn't serve me anymore. This doesn't serve me. This doesn't serve my society. This doesn't serve my commu community. This is not empowering. This is not loving. I'm not going to buy into that hate. And if we can be accountable for those viruses within our own thoughts, then we're starting to clear things out and open things up to hear one another. And, and, you know, let's face not people of color have been persecuted for centuries. Mm -hmm. Right. And every time you supposedly have some freedom. <laughs> yeah. Try getting that job you want. Try doing this. Try doing that. Right. You know, and there's those subtle blocks everywhere you go. But that isn't just people of color. It's women mm -hmm. of every color in a man's world. And it is an economic and the, the boys club, you know, it's the whole system is wrong. So let us look at this different pandemic of of systemic hate and say, OK, but where where's my power? My power is to look at it and start deleting that virus from my own thoughts, my own beingness and step up and just look at each other with loving kindness and and adhere to the fact that you've suffered your entire history we don't realize that our our family dna is very much imprinted in us so what pain and anguish our family have been through is in us and we can go through that it's not just our ancestral which can go back a long way it's our past lives mm -hmm. and that pain is constantly being passed on and i think we've come to this huge big bubble of the pain is so much it has to burst it, like a boil, it's got to be large, you know, it's got to be burst, uh, as ugly as it is. And, and if not, this next generation is, is not ever going to be able to be creative and productive and loving until we clear it out. Mm -hmm. It's time to rewrite a new history. You're here. Yeah, I agree. So the work that you do is going in on bridging the gap. Yes. And the yes. gift that you have is the fact that you are both sides of the equation. That's right. <laughs> so the equilibrium, the balance. And, the um, and you've heard both sides of the language. And it's in again, it's not the persecution of that language. It's just like, have you thought that that language is demeaning or demoralizing? What are you really trying to say? Yes. Because so many people just bleh. And we all do it, Blah. 
and we don't realize that those words are offensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or hurtful or, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting place to be. I guidance is needed because yeah. there are an awful lot of people that do want to step up, but it's saying, but, but, but what do I say? What? It's like when somebody is sick, people don't know what to say around them. Somebody's lost somebody. They, they don't go and visit because they don't know what to say. We're in that stage right now, but, but what do I say to a person of color? You know, yeah. uh, you know, what's the appropriate thing to say? I'm scared if I say the wrong thing. Yeah. So the guidance is needed right now on that etiquette of how to speak to one another in a way that we're not going to be offended if somebody says something out of sorts, but to kindly show them why that is offensive and to be willing to be corrected. Yes. Well, I think we need to come at this with, uh, with cultural humility, yeah. which is a term coined by two doctors in uh, California whose names are going to escape me at the moment, two female doctors of color um travel on and oh my gosh anyways your listeners can google cultural humility on youtube there's an amazing video documentary sorry by vivian chavez um and and what the premise of cultural humility is that is that there's always going to be something we don't know can't yes. know won't know because of who we are and who right. we're not right and that's okay mm -hmm. right but when you come at any engagement with humility mm. You're going to remember to ask questions. You're going to remember to listen. You're going yes. to remember to receive information, right? And really pay attention to the person that you're speaking with or the people that you're speaking with and learning from because there's so much to learn, you know? You know, I remember saying to my landlady the other day when, you know, when this came up with the 215 kids is that I'm ashamed to be white. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to be ashamed of being who I am just like you don't want to be ashamed of who you are. But I am ashamed of the choices that have been made by white people around this world over the last thousand years. And, and, and it's got to change. It's got to change. It's not acceptable anymore. You have no excuse. I'm sorry, you don't. You can't justify it. And it really is time that we do step up into that humility that we do understand we've done wrong. Now, maybe we personally haven't, but if we're still practicing it or we're still ignorant of it, we're still a part of that equation. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. And how do we step in? How do we yes, do that? We that is to, the big question. Right? We want to understand that there's a system. We yes. We want to understand that there's systemic racism, that our societies are built on systemic racism, in this case, because we're talking about race. Other systems too, everybody. No, oh, yes. As you're addressing one, start looking at all the others. <laughs> we want to understand that there's a system. We want to start to notice how systemic racism shows up in policy and practice in our organizations, in laws and systems in our communities and in our right in education and healthcare and the legal system. We want to start to understand. So that's you know out there. Then we want to start, then we want to go in here. We want to understand how the concept of white supremacy and white superiority lives in us, in how we think, in how we feel, and how we look at people of color. Yeah. And how we feel better than as somebody who's white or as somebody who's lighter skinned. And then we want to notice what those thoughts do in terms of how we interact with, engage with, talk to, think about, consider, etc. 
people of color, who are people who are black, people who are indigenous, people who are people of color. What's the impact of this, this thinking? What's the yes. impact of white superiority and of white supremacy that we're bathed in on a regular basis? Yeah? Yes. When we all do that work in our own hearts and then in our own dealings with one-on-one and also you know, in, in teams, in our workplaces, then we'll start to make the bigger ripples of dismantling yeah. the system. Yes. Yeah? So it's a both end again. Yes, it is. Um, I've got a book coming out, uh, a collective book coming out, Our Forgotten Children. I have a Forgotten Children series, and it's uh, people who are participating a chapter in in the reinvesting in our children and the awareness of the broken system and what we can put right. When you're looking at in the States, that 70% of the people incarcerated are foster children, and most of those are children of color. That screams broken system. Yeah. Right? And... I've got some wonderful people participating on so many different levels, but I think what we need to do as, as with anything, go back to the beginning, Mm. go down to the very core, strip everything right down Mm. and rebuild. And if we aren't willing, you know, there's a beautiful Celtic rune called Hasglas and Hasglas is disruption. If we're not willing to disrupt the status quo, the comfortability, the old paradigm. We don't realize how much garbage we're carrying around with this. We need to dismantle, you know, it's like a, we have, um, we go on a fasting, you know, to mm-hmm. clean our system out, right? We do meditation to focus in and go to the very core of ourselves. We need to strip right down to the very core and rebuild our society. And that means most certainly right down to the very core of how we bring up our children because how we bring them up is the dysfunction of society and let's let's face it a parent doesn't have a child to bring them up dysfunctionally they're bringing them up dysfunctionally because they were brought up dysfunctionally in a dysfunctional society yeah we pass along what we know so there's a lot of unlearning we have to do that's the willingness that we have to go through we have to strip right right down and then put back together you know, in respect, in value, in love, um, in collaboration, you know, and start putting everything back together. This isn't a quick fix. This isn't a quick downloadable app. This isn't today's news and gone tomorrow. This is something that we've got to commit to for the next hundred years in order for the system to completely change. Yeah. It's a generational thing. Absolutely. I agree. I look forward to seeing the progress. And I've definitely seen some change in the last year, just in terms of how willing people are, how willing leadership is, how willing white leadership is to Mm -hmm. acknowledge that they don't know, to to lean into wanting to know and to listen. So that's already a shift. And so if that shift continues and we are willing to be open-hearted, we are willing to to, to, to muddle through because it's going to be messy, right? We're going to learn things we don't like. We're going to learn things about ourselves we don't mm. like. We're going to learn things we wish hadn't happened. Um, we're going to feel guilt and shame for sure. Yeah. But we need to move through that so that we can productively move to the next, right? To, to, to change and to, and to, um, to honor. So um, yeah, I'm looking, forward to, I'm looking forward to how we move forward. You know, I lived in South Africa for 11 years before the apartheid broke down. I actually left because of that. 
you know, because it was not happening soon enough. And I was warned a few times for talking to people of color, um, mm. you know, by the police or, and uh, it, it was, um, the suppression was just ridiculous. And it was a it was a a girl coming from England who had been countryside and very protected, um, and then going over to South Africa and and really kind of you know mm. waking up to see what was going on. Uh, it, it, it's an absolutely beautiful country, but it should be a beautiful country for everyone that lives there. And you know, this was their country, like North America is not the white person's country, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, it's entirely made up of, of immigrants and it was founded by our indigenous people. Um, you know, where is the respect? Where, where, why can't we look at each, each other's culture and go, I respect your culture. I want to know more about it. Now, it may not be that I'm going to immerse myself into it and become it, but I respect how important your culture is to you. Yeah. And uh, and respect that instead of the going in and saying I'm going to change you, and as you get Christianity <laughs> has a yeah. lot to answer for. Something <laughs> maybe about wanting to be right, you know, and yeah. and, and my way is the only way. <laughs> yeah, you know, indigenous people that were on the land, not yeah. founding anything, because they right. they have a completely different appreciation and, and a relationship yeah. with the land. Right? Yes, yes. Um, there's something about you know, rightness, you must be like me. Yeah, you, I have a better way of doing things you must therefore and 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 again, as we spoke about earlier, it's it's self ascribed. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and uh, very easily bought into because it's convenient. Now, if we, yeah. you know, if we look at all of this and go every time you're buying into that you're part of the problem, you're you're contributing to the sewage of thinking. Uh, and, you know, mirror back at you and you know i always used to do mirror therapy with my clients is mm -hmm. like you know try telling yourself that eyeball to eyeball and see yeah. if you can pull the wool over your own eyes right well and, and a big part of that will be we often hold these big examples of racism up yes right of africa and apartheid and slavery yes. right but but systemic racism happens in obvious and subtle ways every day yes right there's systemic things and then there's little, little quote unquote, interpersonal things that we have to also dismantle and, and understand for what they are and the damage that they cause. And if you say, well, I'm only one person, I don't know what to do. Start there. Yeah. Start there with the small dismantling. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That ripple effect. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll go out there. Educate yourself. I mean, my, the, the ABCs of inclusion that we use as, as in my company, are built on awareness, right? A, one of the things A stands for is awareness. We have to learn. We have to understand what the system looks like. We have to understand the impact of the system. Educate yourself, read yes. podcasts, you know, mm. talk to people. Yes. That's always the first step. And, and if we if we skip over that to the doing, mm. we're missing. We're yeah. missing, a whole, you know, we might, we might not be doing as well as we could in the dismantling. We're not, we might not be acknowledging as much as we need to in that dismantling. We need to, we need to spend some time cultivating awareness and that is ongoing. That never ends. There's always going to be something new to learn. And, and look at it as something wondrous and exciting to learn, you know, not a chore. You know, uh, everybody that has stepped into their meaningful purpose had to go through a process. Mm -hmm. And very often that process came from a place of pain and suffering. 
and they had to find the courage they had to find the strength they had to find the abilities they had to find the meaning in it to step mm -hmm. into that meaningful purpose but every single one of them will tell you it was worth it and if mm -hmm. you're not willing to go through that process you are in the process of healing mm -hmm. in your learning in your becoming no it's not a quick fix it is something you need to dedicate to and while you're doing it for systemic racism what you actually are doing it for you is your own heart and soul because do you want to be labeled a racist mm. but your behavior is acting like that even if your intent isn't right yeah. so in that process of recovery you can discover things about yourself that is just so much more joyful and loving that you can bring to the table mm. that becomes your purpose so in your own personal healing incorporate all the other healings in there as well because we don't want you just to heal a part of you. We want you to heal the whole of you. Yes. <laughs> so the book, um, which you don't have a cover of right now because you're in Barbados. I, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a hard copy of my own book. No, it's weird. It's very strange. It doesn't quite feel real yet. But it's on your posting. And of course, it's up front here on the YouTube, um, you know, being brown in a black and white world it says it all right there you know and it and it's uh you know the black and white isn't just to do with skin color either it's just the way we look at things it is or it isn't you know yeah. it's my way or your uh, or your way there is no merging of the ways and finding a happy medium and you know i look at relationships that way you know him her you each individual and you come together no you've got to do it my way no there's right. a bubble in the middle where you merge together as the cohesive way why can't we be like that with each other yeah. in every relationship yeah or him him and her her or yeah. Beyond yes yeah 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 right? just the yeah. love love don't lose yourself merge a part of yourself with each other to create a beautiful whole there but don't lose yourself in doing it and you know i think an awful lot of our ignorance uh, you know we're, we don't realize we're sheeple we don't realize we're puppeteers we're so busy trying to live up to the society's expectation of what we should be mm -hmm. what we're meant to be what we're expected to be that most people's journeys are i am so tired of living by this other expectation i want to know who i really am mm. what i'm really here for what really is my gift and in that journey don't just incorporate your own heart and soul incorporate the hearts and souls of others around you yeah well i definitely feel that the process that i was on and that you know that i'm still on but that sort of came to a ahead a couple of years ago and and that i write about in my book has has um it has been healing yes right and yeah. and because of that healing i have come out of the polarization the back and forth the push and pull to this space of both end and i right. i'm grateful for that i mean yes. it, it it, it, it wasn't fun. No. And the, and the thing is, is there's beauty on both sides. It's not one pitching against the other. The gift that you were given is that you are two sides of the coin that's made a beautiful whole. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, that's who you are. And that's where I want to be right now. You know, but this comes up in a real much show, the beach background and things here in Barbados. I want to be there. <laughs> but it's also a metaphor. Let the wind clear clear out your thinking let the water wash away your fears right and let the sun warm your heart and soul mm -hmm. so you know nature is also an incredible teacher 
when you allow it to be. So, but the moral of the story is this, be willing to be educated, mm -hmm. learn to undo what has been there for eons and yeah. realize it no longer serves you. Understand that you are carrying this virus around with you and in your whole perspective. And it's time to change that perspective. And yes. it's time to listen to each other and learn and apply. Apply, yes. Apply the learning. Absolutely. Mm. So where can people get hold of the book? How can they get hold of you and what are you offering them? All right. Well, you can get a hold of the book through Amazon and there's a link to that, to a site that will give you whatever part of the world you're in will take you directly to your Amazon site, Magic, on my website. And so my website is my name, annemarieshrouder.com. Excellent. P-M-A-R-I-E-S-H-R-O-U-D-E-R.com. Um, and, uh, and I work with organizations to help them to understand that inclusion is an outcome, that it's something we create together, mm -hmm. that everybody is responsible for its creation um, through the building of community, through the awareness of who we are and our experiences and through the creation of belonging. And, um, and that's what we're up to. And, you know, I, I say it over and over again, like a rather broken record. If we could look at each other as part of the village and mm -hmm. only everybody's participation in that village is going to make that village strong and that everybody has a role in that village, including the village idiot. And when things are bad, you're there to help them. When things are good, you're there to celebrate. And the more that we must coming into that village as a whole, the more we will appreciate and celebrate each other for who we really are. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing here today. Thanks for writing a very important book. Uh, it is a book that is, you know, the title itself, you know, just immediately wakes you up. And, and an awful lot of people right now go, yes, I agree. It's all wrong. The system has, has to change, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. And that's where we need to be right now. And this re-education is not ramming it down people's throats. It's inviting them. Inspiration begets invitation. And it's inviting them by that inspiration to see the broken system and to want to be a part of its healing, to be want to be a part of writing the new script, yes. right? You're asking everyone to come to this performance and everybody to contribute. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, can I add one more thing? Please. The book is not just available on Amazon. It's also available through um Ingram. So if you're in Canada, you can find it through chapters.ca. Wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And you know, this is actually not only a good book for you to read yourself, but it's a good book for the family to read. Right. Mm. And have a discussion. And you know, I'm a huge one of listen to a podcast together and then discuss it, what you got out of it afterwards. The same with a book club. And this is a kind of book that the whole family needs to read or even each participant can read a chapter and then discuss it because yeah. it's it's not a one person in the family then trying to change everyone's mind it's a family thing of changing your minds it's true i mean it, it the subtitle could be misleading it says conversations for leaders and mm. so that could be leader of an organization leader of a team leader of your family yes. leader of community right it's not just a business book it does because we're, gonna, we're leaders in our own lives Exactly. Right. So it's for you, the leader in your own life as well. Right. You know, it's stop being the sheeple. 
choose your own positive living by being a leader in your own life so yes this book is for everyone everyone but i do believe that you know if you're a millennial you know you know things are, are wrong right now you want to join the marches you want to do this but you want to do more read the book collectively together be more empowered of what you can do what is needed right and yes go and join the marches kudos to you yes but there's more to be done and we need to get down to that core, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much, love. Thank you very much. Folks, we're all part of the problem. I don't care who you are, where you are, what you are. We're all part of the problem. No fault on our own because we've been following this Pied Piper now for centuries. And it's time to realize the music needs to change. And the only way we're going to do that is making the changes within us and then bringing them to the table. So be willing to learn be willing to be educated, willing to step into compassion of one another, because that's the only way we're going to heal as a human society. We need to step into our humility. So thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Until next time, everyone. Bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.